Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, Pick it up today, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And, of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And we are the inglorious Drexperts. <laughs> and are you ready for something really spooky? <laughs> you want to see you something ready? scary? Something well, scary. besides Ashley Edward Miller, who's with us. I Ashley, Ashley, remember Vegas? You oh, remember I do. becoming becoming a Trexpert? I do remember becoming a Trexpert. It was one of those terrifying experiences of my life. Your Halloween, name, with, your Halloween name is Ashley Edward Killer. Damn, damn right it is. <laughs> when, when Darren took that bathlet and, and, and missed your, your uh, carotid my artery by artery. this my much. Artery, yeah. yeah. Or um, when, uh, you know, you like you, you got into that duel with the uh with a wheelchair with exactly with a woman (laughs) lost cart and you lost are you challenging me to a duel (laughs) yes if you have the courage (laughs) yeah yeah well so a couple of weeks back more than a couple weeks now back in august uh we had the good fortune to attend uh courtesy of uh 
Adam Malin and Gary Berman, the Las Vegas Star Trek convention, where Darren and myself and um, Ashley were special guests. And uh, we recorded Inglorious Trexperts live with a very special guest, our good friend, the producer of Independence Day and Stargate and Librarians and currently airing right now on um, IMDb TV, Leverage Redemption. And of course, I'm talking about our benefactor, our executive producer, Mr. Dean Devlin, who was kind enough to uh, make his way out to Vegas and join us for a very special panel we did on Spooky Star Trek. Ooh. And uh, and that was a that was a that was a, a lot of fun where we talked about some of Star Trek's scariest episodes. And I'm not talking about Discovery. I'm talking about scary horror filled episodes of Star Trek, which are intentionally scary. Is wow. this podcast actually stretching? <laughs> no, there are no That's windows and no doors. Actually, my and favorite no part of all the job. <laughs> <laughs> no, no doors and no I kind of like when we had the mystery machine. That was pretty awesome. Um, and then when we figured it, out, it would have worked like, if it weren't for those meddling kids. kids. That's right. It's like when we pulled the mask off of Shatner, and it turned out that he was just the old man who lived in the back of the carnival. That was that was crazy. You got Halloween mask, the Michael Myers mask. Figured <laughs> exactly. out it was Shatner. <laughs> and underneath the the, the uh, William Shatner mask was William Shatner. We didn't see that coming. It was a plot twist nobody could have predicted. <laughs> oh my god! So it was fun because we talked a lot about you know scary Star Trek episodes. Now, of course, uh, you know it's not that Star Trek uh, is a horror show, but there were a number of episodes which were. Uh, you know, scary. I mean, Cat's Paw, written by Robert Block, was conceived especially to be an episode that would air on Halloween um, and uh, sort of celebrated all the horror tropes like a black cat and uh, uh, Sylvia, who was trying to seduce Captain Kirk. Uh, no, yeah, that, that was a horror trope. Was that horrible? No. <laughs> With the, uh, what was the transmuter? Sure, that's a big Halloween. The transmuter. Yeah. <laughs> um, Transmuter, transmuter. Hello, transmuter. Hello, transmuter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we talked about episodes from, from a lot of the shows. I'm sure there are a bunch we missed. Um, I know there was a zombie episode of uh, Enterprise. Also, you know, one of Michael Sussman's episodes from Enterprise, the, the Borg episode, that's a, a, a pretty scary little episode. Sure. You know, yeah. when they discover the uh, um, the Borg up in, the on the North Pole. Right. It was basically the you know? thing from another world. <laughs> it was basically the thing. But uh, but it's a good episode. Um, but, you know, Halloween's a fun time and uh, it's great to be able to celebrate uh, Halloween with this this wonderful panel we did at the uh, did at the convention. Brings back fun memories of Vegas. Great steaks. Um, Noise from backstage. Um, lots of money that was lost. Yeah. And uh, and it was a, it was a good time was had by uh, good time was had by all. Indeed. So hopefully, uh, we'll have to see if we're going to go back next year. I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> don't, don't know. Trust don't them. Know. Don't believe them. They said they want us back, but we don't know. Um, we'll have to see what our availability is as well. Um, but uh, but this was a really fun panel. It was really great that Dean flew out uh, to join us on his JSX flight. Um, and we figure if we say JSX enough during the podcast, maybe we can get some comp plane tickets. So I want to now, thank did, JSX for that. Didn't wonderful they actually flight. have a man on the wing? Like, 
onions <laughs> flying out? Wasn't there actually a gremlin? He, he, he may have had a man on the wing of the plane. That was funny when Shatner was talking about going into space and he said, I just hope I don't see anybody out the window. That was, that was clever. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. So um, anyway, without any further ado, we want to welcome Dean Devlin to the Trexperts as we go back in time to the Las Vegas Sci-Fi Summit celebrating 55 years of Star Trek. When I get this started, I'm sure you have some you know, ideas of episodes you want to talk about that were scary or spooky or maybe creeped you out as a kid, maybe creep you out now. I'll start with Dean. What's, uh, what's a spooky Star Trek episode? Well, I think the reason I'm here is uh, uh, there was a Star Trek episode called The Wolf in the Fold. You guys remember that one? Well, the uh, priestess who, who was uh, doing the uh, seance, that was my mom. Uh, and uh, uh, her acting name was Pilar Surratt, which um, she thought was Pilar Sakrat, and she would get that wrong. Sakrat was a cough drop back in those days. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, she, so she, she played that part, um, and uh, she came home from the set with a stunt phaser, a rubber stunt phaser, and she gave it to her son, and that was the crack that started my addiction to all of this stuff. Oh my goodness. Now, why, tell, tell, tell everybody why that would, the stunt ones would be rubber versus the other props. Well, you see, back in those days when we would make the show, uh, stunt uh, props are always uh, cheaper to make because uh, they didn't have all the intricacies of the functioning things. So we could throw them around and uh, give them to uh, guest stars' children. Uh, so it, it, was, uh, it was very important for the... Sorry, I'm... I'm I, dived into Gene Roddenberry for a second. You look good for 100 years old, Gene. <laughs> and, and dead. Well, I, I certainly feel good, and uh, certainly with so many people showing up for the birthday. Um, but, you know, they would make, you know, multiple copies of the stunt uh, phasers because they could, you know, they could throw them around, they could, you know, do anything to them, and uh, it didn't matter. They wouldn't break, and they, and they wouldn't uh, uh, be more expensive to replace later. So it's just cheap little stuff that is now worth quite a lot of money. And, and now, Dean, you know how Darren has fully reduced your very important childhood memory to a question of economics. That's, that's I love it. <laughs> well, tell us, I mean, it must be very strange. It's almost like um, a photo album. I mean, for you to see your mom, you know, back when, you know, young and, and, and in this bizarre role, it must be very strange to go back. And I assume you went back and watched the episode recently. What well, was your thoughts? Well, knowing that I was going to be here, I decided to rewatch the episode, and my eldest daughter had never seen it. Oh. And while my eldest daughter, her coloring is different, her, the shape of her face is exactly my mom. Wow. So it was really eerie to be seeing my mom on television, my daughter next to me, and, and they're mirrors of each other. That's awesome. And, uh, and she, of course, she loved seeing uh, the grandmother she never met. Right. You know, so it was, it was pretty great. Uh, of course, the name of the character was Sibo. Uh, just for those of you who... Which is now a digestive disease. Yes, right. <laughs> did you think Scotty had killed her? Or did you... <laughs> did you... you mean, re-watching it when I watched it the first time? When you watched it the first time, was it Scotty or was it Piglet? Who, who did so it? So when, when, I, when I was a kid, you know, I, I also loved Star Trek. 
and I couldn't, I never believed for a second it was him. I right. knew that somehow they have to pull out that it wasn't him. And I, the, 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 the cheer is, well, then who is it, and how are they going to get to it? You know? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for those of you who actually don't remember, Wolf in the Fold is the episode where Jack the Ripper is loose. The spirit of Jack the Ripper is Red Jack. loose. Right. And, and, uh, and takes over the body of Piglet. Right. Um, John Fiedler, John who was Fiedler. a character actor at the time, who also voiced Piglet and, in the movie. Uh, you know, of course, uh, there's a whole history of Jack the Ripper in Star Trek because Nick Meyer's first movie as a director was Time After Time, right. in which the great David Warner played Jack the Ripper. Now, now, that was the one where Malcolm McDowell and David Warner go back in time to rescue a pair of elves. Wait, whales. No. Humpback elves. Humpback, Humpback yes. Elves. Okay, I gotcha. Cool. So, <laughs> that's extraordinary, but I bet there are other scary episodes. I mean, Jack the Ripper, that's scary, you know. Um, sure. But uh, what's an episode, Ashley, that you find particularly spooky? So, I'll, I'll pick up on, uh, on, on the, uh, the, the vibe that, uh, that Dean began, Wolf in the Fold, written by the great Robert Block, right. legendary um, horror novelist, short story writer. In fact, Wolf in the Fold was based on a, uh, a short story that he had written, I think it was back in the 40s, and now the title is escaping me, but it was about Jack the Ripper. So he adapted his own work for this Star Trek episode. Um, one of the things that Robert Block was uh, very associated with was uh, writing works that were in the Lovecraft canon. Um, he was very fascinated with all of that. He would set things like in the Cthulhu mythos. So he liked to make references in the three episodes that he did, and I'll only mention one of them, um, to the old ones. Right. The ancient evil. Yes, the ancient evil. And it was, I think, for him very explicitly an, an attempt to kind of connect all of that into the, into the Star Trek universe, which I find fascinating. The episode that always creeped me the hell out was What Are Little Girls Made Of? Mm. Yeah. Right. It was just the, the vibe of that episode, the big, tall dude, who I think was the same actor who played Lurch. Yeah, yes, absolutely. creepy, kooky, mysterious, and, and spooky. And spooky. And spooky. Yeah. Uh, and his voice alone, yeah. um, in the context of that episode, was frightening. I thought Shatner was great in that there was something just very unsettling about him meeting himself. And he also makes a reference to the old ones. Yeah, the old ones. The ones who made us, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's just... It implies such a history, right? And it's just one of those things that I always love. It's like when you feel like you're watching a, a story where there are things that have happened outside the frame, right? That you're kind of coming into something that right. feels like it has its own reality and its, it's own like a, texture. You're a child walking into the middle of a film. Yes, exactly, <laughs> which has happened. Uh, it, no, it's, it's, it's exactly like that, but um, it's really well directed, it's just, it's really smart, it's, it is oddly stylish, especially yeah. kind of given, you know, the sort of the production means that they had available to them, um, and I just, I love it. Yeah. Well, Dean, I, I would have thought you would have recu recused yourself from that one, <laughs> since your mother is in it, there was a conflict of interest. Do you have another episode that your mother isn't in, and that your dad had nothing to do with? <laughs> Well, I, I, I would jump to Next Generation, and I, I, I would go to uh, Night Terrors. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a scary episode in many ways. Yeah. It's a scary episode in many ways, you know, but I mean, I, I guess, again, watching it recently, you know, us living through a pandemic, you know, this idea that something is, is affecting everyone and they don't know what it is. Right. And, and then I, you know, I thought it was really interesting that, 
that we actually never meet the, those who are reaching out, you know, that it all happens through a dream. I thought that was, you know, really advanced for, uh, to do in a show back then. Uh, and yet, the show was scary. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, man. Um, you know, that, I always liked that episode when it, uh, when it first aired. I just thought what I liked about it was um, that it was different. Again, I dug the vibe. I don't necessarily know that it, you know, it's not something that holds together as a character story, right? It, it tries to make it hold together as a character story through Troy. Um, I don't know if that was exactly the, the right choice. There's a, there's a little too much kind of floating around in green. Um, but, uh, but I think that the, the ambition of it was really fascinating. And, and there were just moments, um, like if I'm, this wasn't Sub Rosa, the, the moment when uh, all the dead kind of rise up off of the tables. Yeah. I mean, that's legit creepy. That's legit scary. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I could go along with you with that. Yeah. I mean, when that happened to me, when I went <laughs> right. to the... What? What? Oh. <laughs> this isn't... Okay. So, Darren, Night Terrors, is that terrifying to you or no? Not so uh, much. Not so much. So, what's, what's, your, what's, your, what's your episode, sir? My, my pick is, it's not an episode, it's just an image. The image at the end of just about every of the end titles of Star Trek, the, the photo of Baylock, you know, perfectly lit. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, there it is. <laughs> that guy right there terrifies that us. scared the living poo-poo out of me. Uh, and it still does, because it's, it's this weird sort of uh, inhuman face. And every time it popped up, I went, ah, because it's scary. And it's such a great, iconic image now, you know, as we're living in the future. Um, but uh, back then, it was, it was one of those things that really, uh, that really screwed with my mind enough so that I tried to figure out what is it about this that makes me scared, and how did they do that? And Sir, that's what pulled me into trying to work on movies and stuff, because I was so taken by this one image that scared the living poo-poo out of me. Sir, can you stand up for a second again? Can we see that? Can you straighten that? Am I crazy, yeah. or does that, does that kind of look like Al Pacino? <laughs> <laughs> and Al Pacino as Baylock. <laughs> Ooh-ah. Ooh-ah. You now have two minutes. <laughs> in, the, in the Kelvin universe, yeah. it's Al Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. It was... Uh, uh, um, uh, Gordon 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 yeah, it was, it was Hua Chang. Hua Chang, and he, he, had a, a, he made a little maquette of it as well that is even more scary than that. That's, that's way sort of uh, uh, niceified compared to the, the little maquette that he made. But he was a brilliant artist who worked for, uh, uh, you know, the separate company other than Paramount or uh, uh, Desilu uh, it, because they didn't want to pay union rates for it. It's even scarier when you've drunk a lot of Tranya. Well, absolutely. You know. Everything is scarier after Tranya. So, you know, you mentioned Night Terrors as, as an episode that, that's scary here on Friday the 13th. Um, while oh God, we're on next, Friday the 13th. That's what I'm saying. Dun, while, dun, dun. <laughs> while, we're on, while we're on Next Generation, I'll right. put one out there. All right. Uh, Conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Conspiracy is an episode that doesn't get a lot of love. Yep. Because it's from the first season. And I'm not talking about the scanners moment where the heads are exploding. Yeah. Right. That very, that, that creepy scene at the beginning where 
Picard meets with the other captains, right? right? And they talk about in the Una, cave, in the Ryan cave, Sight, Una and Una Una yeah. And uh, <laughs> in, in fact, Trila Scott is here on the dealer's room. I think right? you can get her autograph. Let's go get some and, autographs. Uh, but you know that is a very creepy, spooky that whole episode that people are being absorbed and you know it's a, absorbed. It's, yeah. it's body snatchers, yeah. but it's done in a way, and it was at the time very atypical right. of what the show did. Well, and it's, it's basically remains. it the terror from beyond space. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, with Peter Graves. Uh, is that the right one? Or no, it conquered the world. Sorry, it conquered well, the world. Or the puppet masters. Well, but that, uh, and the, the, yeah. the guy who wrote it was Tracy Torme, who was Mel Torme's son, who was a big um, uh, a writer, producer on the first two seasons of Star right. Trek. And he did Haven, which introduced Lawaxana Troy. And um, then he also did The Big Goodbye, which he won the Peabody Award for Star Trek back when it got shown some respect, which was right. great. And then um, he did Conspiracy, which he actually talks about being based on Seven Days in May, uh -huh. um, which is really interesting. So the horror was less appealing to him than the conspiracy aspects of it. But, it, but I think that added to it, right? It kind of gave it that, um, that the conspiracy elements of it made it more frightening than if it was just we're on the ship and there's something that's messing with us. That's worse. Well, the scene where that admiral, the you know, elderly admiral does the flying round kick yeah. is is the most scary shot in the whole thing. Right, you're just you're afraid he's gonna break his hip, which is yeah. <laughs> really unsettling. Actually, I also say, the, uh, in, in all seriousness, that last shot, where it's just kind of pushing right. into the starscape, that dee -dee 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 -dee. I mean, watching that for the first time, I just kind of fell into the TV watching it, so I loved it. I'm curious, uh, on, on these episodes we're talking about, because I had never noticed it before until I was re-watching Wolf in the Fold, I, I did not remember that it was the episode before Trouble with Tribbles. Right. And I'm just curious, on these other scary episodes, did they always follow it up with a lighter episode? Only when Gene wasn't in the office. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true, because Trouble with Tribbles was produced when he was off doing another project at the time. And when he came back, he was actually pissed off. You know, there, there, there shouldn't be any comedy in my show. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a funny thing being out in space, and uh, you're just being too, uh, too loose with the uh, format of the show for this. Because, you know, Gene was only really around and the hands-on showrunner uh, for the first 13 initially, and then right. Gene Kuhn sort of took over, and Gene Kuhn, um, who invented the Prime Directive and the Klingons, he was much more, he believed in uh, Star Trek having a sense of humor, right. and he really... Um, was at the heart of the whole Spock-McCoy relationship right. and how they would, uh, you know, sort of have that... Bicker, that bic bicker the Bickersons. And, and make their uh, uh, relationship And, and when Gene deeper. comes back later on the second season, he's like, what have you done to Star Trek? You've yeah. turned it into a comedy because, of course, not only do you have um, Trouble Tribbles, you have Piece of the Action. You have iMud. And iMud, which I think was really the straw that broke the camel's back, yeah. you know, for, for Roddenberry. And Kuhn leaves a little after that, largely because he was exhausted because as Dean will attest, and actually myself and Darren, um, producing TV is hard and it, it, it's exhausting. And they weren't doing eight episodes, they weren't doing 10 episodes, they were doing 28, 28 episodes a year. Yeah. And it just ate people up and spit them out because actually, you know, a lot of people on that show were, were hospitalized with exhaustion. Right. Um, you know, whether Bob Justman, Gene Roddenberry, Gene Kuhn, I mean, Gene Kuhn, the reason he was so prolific was he was high on amphetamines most of the time. That's how he got That's his true. scripts done. So um, it was, 
that, that, and he, you know, he died very young. And I always like to talk about Gene because Gene couldn't be at any of these conventions because he died in 1973, Gene Kuhn. So, um, but anyway, it's a good question. <laughs> and his spirit is here right now. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it was, it was necessarily calculated that, like, oh, we'll do a, a suspenseful episode or, or, or comedy to cleanse the palate. It sort of just worked out that way. It, yeah, it man. worked out that way, yeah. It was terrifying. You know, well, they had to the churn scenes. out an episode every eight days. Yeah. It's unfathomable to imagine how they did that. Um, and, of course, a lot of preparation goes into it before then. But they were always flying by the seat of their pants. Always. Because even if you look at Next Generation, they were doing 26 episodes a year, which explains masks. Yeah. So, it, it, it does um, explain masks. I mean, and it's not just eight, every eight days. It's 28 times a year. That's unbelievable. See, even the loudspeaker agrees. That's, that's incredibly brutal. Do you feel, I mean, because I know that Gene objected to the SETI eel in Star Trek II, where, um, uh, you know, the creepy SETI eel that goes in Chekhov's ear and then eventually... Um, and controlled his mind. <laughs> and they phase her and destroy. What do you feel the balance is, uh, you know, in, in, in Star Trek? It, it, should there be this horror and, and suspense, and, or is that not really the franchise? Like, where do you feel the right balance is? Well, for, for me, Star Trek has to have those elements, you know, because that's part of the lean-in experience of it. But where I would disagree with Gene is, to me, it was the balance with the comedy. And there was, there was an alchemy to that, you know, where I would, I, I could enjoy the humor, and, and, and a lot of that just came out of their camaraderie, Right. But it never diminished the stakes. You know, I was always worried about what's going on or, or you know, the, the guest guy in the brown shirt. You know, <laughs> I knew somebody's going to die. I knew there were real stakes. But, you know, what made me fall in love with it, and to this day, is the humor. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and it was a thing about, uh, it's not just, it's not jokes. It's, it's smart people talking to each other and finding humor in the situation. Yeah. It, uh, it was never forced on it. It always seems to come from the genuine characters and their love for each other and their ability to have a lighter side to things occasionally. And would I be right to say, I mean, that that kind of found its way into the librarians, that kind of relationship where people could be funny, but it was really about a family and ultimately the stakes are real and grounded despite how, um, you know, uh, whimsical it may seem. Well, I'd actually tell you that, that there's a, a chain as far as that goes. Uh, the original Star Trek was my first giant love of genre. I really loved Next Generation. I, I just loved it. And, and, and I went into it with my arms crossed. You know, I was like, they can't redo this. As we all did. But I felt like they got that, that balance of humor and drama and, and the character relationships. Yep. I thought they figured that out, and it was great. And, and it gave me a kind of joy that, that kind of nothing else did after that until 2005 when I was in England working on a movie and they had just rebooted Doctor Who. Right. And I remember watching it going, oh my God, they've got that alchemy. They've got that balance of humor. And it, it, it's exactly, I remember calling Michael Wright who was running TNT at the time and I was like, you've got to steal this show. You've got to call, you've got to get it, you've got to get it on your network. And of course, BBC wasn't going to give it up. And I had already made the first librarian movie, mm. but once we, later, once we went to series, I, I thought, well, 
I, I've got to take what I've learned from Doctor Who and Star Trek and... and Subtly integrated. Well, the original librarian was one character. Right. You know, so once we had the team, I thought, well, now you can get that dynamic and figure out what is that balance. Right. Well, I was going to say there is a very scary Star Trek moment, kind of, uh, that you're responsible for, which of course is Brent Spiner's hair in Independence Day. But I guess that doesn't really, that doesn't really count. Um, well, if you ever see photographs of my effects supervisor from Star, Stargate. Yeah. Jeff Oaken. Jeff Oaken. Yeah. You'll know exactly where his hair came from. Yeah, exactly the same. So, dare I bring up, while we're talking about the next generation and scary episodes, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about okay. even evoking, I, at least I don't have a candle lit, um, Sub Rosa? Let's not. Let's do it. Let's talk about Sub Rosa. Oh, my God. I would let's argue. exercise this ghost right now. Okay, look, let's just kind of stake this vampire. Let's just put a bullet in this world. I don't really even, even besides the fact that I don't even want to get into whether or not the episode works on its own merits. Um, I don't even consider it a, a horror story, right? I don't consider it like it's a scary. It's more of a gothic romance. Right than anything else. It has like some of the trappings of it, but- A the, Harlequin romance. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But the dramatic intention of it is not really about the scare. It's about, you know, things happening with Beverly Crusher that you just cannot unsee. Beverly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the candles. Oh, no. Oh God. <laughs> but no, it's a metaphasic life form. Okay, so, um, but Sub Rosa, look, Sub That's Rosa is a very say. polarizing episode. People absolutely love it and other people who don't, including Brandon, who wrote it. So, um, but Jerry Taylor's gonna be here on Sunday, so it'd be very interesting. It was her story to ask right. her about that, because it's a, bizarre, it's a bizarre little episode. It's very off, I mean, that's the interesting thing about Next Generation seventh season, isn't it? They really t had some big swings and tried some weird stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You they, know? Knew, they knew it was the last season, so they figured, well, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, other Next Generation episodes you find Spooky and scary. You know what? I, I it's it's one of my uh, uh, one of my favorite episodes. I'm not proud of this, but the game is mm -hmm. kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. Uh, just because you know it deals with uh, addiction and uh, with people uh, being distracted from real life by games. By games. Which was weirdly prescient. Yeah. Having you know three boys, two five, one twelve, who are physically. It's surgically attached to their devices, and you can't... And I have no idea where they get that from. No idea where they get that from at all. Speaking of being surgically attached, <laughs> there's another episode that's <laughs> extremely creepy, and of course, I'm talking about any time the Borg oh, yeah? are on the right. show, but never more creepy probably than in their introduction, Q Who, Absolutely. in the second season. Um, it, 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 you know, uh, Q thrusts the Enterprise to... Uh, the far ends of the galaxy, where we're introduced to uh, the, the the Borg uh, for the first time. Um, it's actually, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't talk about Q Who much because it's sort of overshadowed by Best of Both Worlds. Right. But Q Who, between Ron Jones' score and the way it's shot by Rob Bowman, is a really bizarre uh, and creepy episode. It's very creepy. Yeah, it it is, and 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 it feels huge. I mean, that one effect shot where they pull out from the, the five Borg and suddenly you're seeing the, down the, this row of the entire yeah. cube was really epic and, 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 and seamless. You know, uh, again, uh, I, I, as, as a guy who does this stuff, 
I couldn't enjoy watching it because I, I was just like, how did they do it? How did they do it? Where's the seam? How, was this motion captured? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was so visual and, and so original uh, at that time. But I have to say, re-watching it, I was shocked that it's a one-act show. Yeah. I mean, there is no show. There's no episode. It literally is, we're going to introduce this and then end the show. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm assuming they knew, well, this is going to pay off big time later, so we'll just, we don't need to do too much here. I, I, I don't know that, I mean, I agree, and yet I don't 100% agree. Because I think what we remember about that episode is, in fact, it's the Borg, right? And all that is super creepy. You find the baby, you know, they come aboard, they get shot down, they come back, they adapt, they're tougher. I mean, there's just something about it, right? And like you said, the score, the sound design, everything, the way they did that pullback, like all of that communicates that you're in a, in a much bigger, more dangerous place, right? But that was actually the story. Right. The story was Q comes aboard and says, you people have no idea right. what you're doing that's and premise. you need me, yeah. right? That's the premise. That's the story. So it feels unresolved when we go and we meet the Borg because by intention, there was almost no way. I mean, if they had encountered the Borg and found an answer to the Borg in that episode, it would have undone um, the end of it. So in a, lot, in a lot of ways, it plays like a horror movie, except right. we get out of it at the very it's end. It's almost right? uh, unfortunate that they brought the Borg back. Right. Because then they would remain this really scary unknown that we never, you know, we never encounter again. Uh, and so that threat remains. I think, you know, once they sort of start to humanize them oh and boy. we start to find ways to chip away at their, at their relentlessness, then it becomes a little less important and a little less uh, re relatable. But, you know, the thing about... Um that is so intriguing, I think, about Q-Who and what you guys are saying is Star Trek really does a great job when it paints the galaxy and the universe as dangerous and scary. Yeah. And so even episodes that maybe aren't great, where they lean into that, have something interesting about them. Like I would point out, and I would never suggest this is a great episode, in the second season there was an episode called, called Where Silence Has Least. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. And the Enterprise faces off against another galaxy-class starship that's suffering all the, and blows up. Right. And um, basically they find out that they're this intergalactic lab experiment. But it's really creepy and weird, yeah. even though it's not a great episode. The Yamato. And you know, we've talked about this on the podcast also, any of these, the Yamato, that's right. Yeah. Anytime, you know, the Enterprise would come across another ship that's sort right. of stranded in space, even if something like the Omega Glory, where everybody's been turned into salt. Yeah. Like, where did they go? What's yeah. going on? There's like another yeah. adventure that we haven't seen. Yeah, exactly. But somebody will write a novel about it one day. Someday. And, and um, Robert Burnett will read it. That's right. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Um, but, it, you know, so it, it really is interesting when Star Trek sort of, it, you know, it goes back to that whole idea of risk is our business. Yeah. And I mean, what's the sense of boldly going someplace if it's not challenging, right? Yeah. I mean, it means nothing. Yeah. It's words. You're not, you don't have, have to, go, to mean something. You don't have to go boldly if it's easy. Well, yeah. Right, you just kind of go, right? What if that was the opener? Go easily. <laughs> right, <laughs> to, go, to go vaguely that way. I mean, <laughs> sure, I guess. Saunter forward. <laughs> yeah. That's a good character name. Hello, saunter forward. <laughs> You know, I want to talk about show because obviously um, show that had a reputation, rightly or wrongly, as being the darker Star Trek. Right, like the anti-Star Trek. Was, uh, was Deep Space Nine, which we all love. Um, and for me, when I think about, you know, moments that are 
dark and spooky. I, I sort of drawn to something like Empoch Noir, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. which um, was sort of designed to be that. Um, what do you what do you what do you think of uh, spooky, scary Deep Space Nine? I uh, definitely agree about Empoch Noir. I think that was actually a very clever way of of doing exactly what you were just talking about with where silence has lease, right? Where you encounter like the other version of right. the of the ship, except in this case, it's the station. Um, you know where they show up and they need parts and it's abandoned. And it's incredible. They make such great use of those amazing sets that they built, which I think at the time were the largest standing sets in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, and just uh, the way that they lit them. I mean, everything that they did was just great. Colomini anchors that episode in, a, in, a, in many ways. Uh, and he just, I don't know, man, it just works. I got to say, Colomini was, um, was the secret weapon of Deep Space Nine on many levels because he also... Was the uh, was the lead and the focus of what I think was a, an, a very scary, uh, kind of spooky, ooky episode, Whispers, from the second season, mm. where the entire premise is it's like paranoia, and Chief O'Brien is becoming increasingly aware that everybody is treating him differently and things are very very wrong, and he starts to investigate right what's happened on the station, what's happened to the people that he knows, like you know has something been done to them, like what's the threat, and when you get to the end and the little twist at the end and you realize like what's been happening and the, the payoff is just, it's fantastic, it's sad, it's scary almost in its, in its own way. Um, but the way that they play the paranoia in that episode is fantastic and, and Colm is just great. Well, and plus he also went through pretty much the scariest thing that has ever happened to any uh, character. He got married? He got married and had a kid. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I call, you know, Calm really is great. And you would have never thought when you first met him in Next Generation, it was like, oh, I'll beam you down now or beaming. And he was a talk no, to. He, 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 he was just sitting at the, at the con. He didn't even have a name. There. Yeah. Yeah. He was on the battle bridge. Yes. Yeah. And then he became the transporter chief. Right. Right. He was the, no he was the butters it. of the Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> just. So other, other episodes that you found spooky or scary or... Um, you know what was scary? When Next Generation premiered, there was another show that premiered at the same time. War of uh, the Worlds? Well, War of the Worlds, but also Friday the 13th, the series. Yeah. My goodness. was a uh, first-run syndicated show. <laughs> Anybody remember? I remember uh, Roby, and who was yeah. the guy? I, I, I don't remember who else was in it other than Roby, because I was fascinated by her name. But I actually liked that show. I thought it had a cool premise. It was the original Warehouse 13. Yeah, it was. They had to find all the cursed artifacts. Yeah, it was basically an anthology horror show. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was awesome. There was Nightmare on the, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. Freddy's Nightmares. Freddy's Nightmares, right. that's right. Yeah. Um, monsters. <laughs> Indeed. So other, but we're back on Star Trek Back now. on Star Trek. Sorry, um, now we're like, look, guys, we're You're not here for a Nightmare like on Elm Street convention. Or yeah. are you? You so, might be. So other, other episodes that you found spooky, and I want to ask you know, some people in the audience as well, um, scary moments in Star Trek, scary episodes. Hmm. This reminds me of like the transmuter in Cat's Paw a little bit. It's actually more like oh, the, we didn't even in, talk about Cat's Paw. We didn't talk about Cat's Paw. Right, Cat's Paw was the third episode that Robert Block wrote for the original series. Right. It was the other episode where the old ones got mentioned. I mean, it yeah, it feels that's a really strange episode. It really is. It was their Halloween episode in uh, was it first sixty six? Was it? It was the first second episode. That it, it, well, it aired in the second season. It was oh, second okay. season, yeah, sixty seven. So but it's very odd because it, it, because it has two uh, antagonists. 
that aren't necessarily on the same team. You know, uh, Sylvia and Sylvia and Korob, who have a different idea of what's to be done with these strange Earthers, and uh, it's very interesting because you can see the dynamic sort of shift between them back and forth. Um, she's she's trying to seduce the captain at one point, and Korob is not, as far as we know. Um, but uh, he, he just wants to sort of find out more about them and how, what makes them tick. And she's a little more sort of direct in her intentions. And uh, she, she'd just as soon get rid of Korob. Absolutely. Um, but, but the turn in their relationship happens off camera. Because yeah. you, you see them and you think they're a team, right? Right, right. Well, then, we, then we're down in the dungeon, we come back, and now they're fighting. Right. And we're like, wait, wait, what, what, yeah, what ha happened? Yeah. We, we, we missed a scene here. <laughs> Absolutely. And yet, you know, it ends with one of the great moments. I mean, it's so imaginative. This is what's so imaginative and so gonzo about the original Star Trek. When they revert to their original form. Their original pipe cleaner that form. That they do this stop motion <laughs> alien. It's, it's not so even stop motion. Alien. It's, it's puppets. It's, it's marionettes. Is that right? In slow motion. It's, it's Punch and Judy. Yeah. yeah. It's still pretty cool. It's, it's really cool because, you know, you, you have a, a look at their real forms and, Really? That's what we've been going against for the past 53 minutes? And Kirk's like, I kissed her. But, uh, <laughs> Whoops. Hey, guys. Um, Space is a dangerous place. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it made me, uh, you know, I never looked at black cats the same way again after that one. Oh, hell no. I mean, I, my only issue with Cat's Paw, I think, was, uh, I mean, again, it's, there's a lot of cool imagery in it. I think, I don't know that I ever found it scary just because the trappings were so explicitly yes. meant to be like, oh, this is the things that you fear. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, no. But they didn't either. The whole idea was yeah. they right. took these ideas out of their head for Halloween and trick or treat, but they're right. not actually scary. But it doesn't scary. have that effect on people right. yeah, because they know it's fake. It's That's the right. iconography it's of horror, but not actual horror. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But it's, it's, you know, it's sort of like we have... They're the A-list episodes and the B-list episodes. That's kind of a solid B. It's a strong yeah. B. It's, yeah. a, you know, it's entertaining. B it's for not a barricade. great episode, but now the, it's the, fun. The character, though, who was running uh, the Enterprise while they're down there, I don't remember seeing him in any other episodes. Was he in other oh, episodes? Mr. LaSalle. Yeah, yeah he Mr. Was, LaSalle. Uh, he, was, he was there when uh, George Takei wasn't around. Because <laughs> you're shooting the Green Berets. But I'll um, bet you credits to Navy Beans he's signing nearby. I, no. I, I really like the character of LaSalle, and I yeah. really wish that he was in it more. But he was just in a couple episodes. But at least they gave him a name, yeah, <laughs> and that's true. good. Names are good. The sad thing is uh, Theo, who played Korob. Right, um, uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Theo, well, we're on a first-name basis. We'll just call him Theo. The sad thing about Theo, Theo, Theo Marcus. Theo Marcus, thank you. You come to the table, you get an honorary Trexpert. A certificate, but Theo Marcus died like a week after yeah. that episode aired. Yeah. Um, was it in a car Coincidence accident or, or not? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really sad and unfortunate. Because he's great. He's really great in the episode. They're both great. She's yeah. great, too. Yeah. Um, Andrea Bowers, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you're, you know, you're holding up your thing, uh, your hand. I don't know if that's because you're, you're adjusting your mask or you want to Stretching. say something. Stretching. So I saw the original series I hope so. But the thing that scared me the most was in the episode Weary, 
when the kids would go through puberty, yeah. come screaming out of the side of right. nowhere and jump on people's backs. That's exactly how it works in real life. That's right. I have teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> they become the they become those creatures you're afraid of, like Louise. <laughs> mine, mine, mine. So, again, kid, I think it's uh, by any other name. Is it Calvin? Yeah, Calvin. From Andromeda. And they bring it back, and of course it was the it was the beautiful. Yeah, it was If only they'd reduce them to dodecahedrons, um, we, they could have played D and D. Just to, it would have been great. But no. But nobody plays the agony of a crew member dying better than Bill yeah. Shatner. I mean, when he takes the yeah, he know, takes the, the dust, lets it go goes, through his fingers, and, and and remembers the time in the in the shuttle bay where, you know, things went a little. Haywire. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, but that's a good that's a good that's a good moment because that is a that is that is pretty scary and you know not in a the way to Eden kind of way. Schisms. Yes. yes. Schisms. That's that's a, that's a scary episode. There are a couple like that. Schisms. Parallels. Frame of mind. Those are all, you know, have those moments that are, you know, a lot of the Brandon episodes, not surprisingly, are yeah. really, uh, you know, they're weird and there's a little creepiness to them. Because, you know, of course, Brandon grew up reading Fangoria and was a big horror guy. So he tried to bring horror more into Star Trek than traditionally you really saw in the past. But, yes, Gizmos is a good, a good example. And, of course, you know, um, Marina is a cake. What episode was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, fantastic. Peptide cake. Right, yeah, you know. That's a that's a really interesting image. When like they're all eating Deanna Troy, it's like it's just Tom Carvel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she she's turned into a cookie puss. I, I what? Yes, sir. It's a cake. Oh, right, from Carvel, like the the whale. We're back. Fudgy to that. the whale. Yeah, Fudgy is that's pregnant. A call back to our first panel. <laughs> that's right. The horror scared me as a nine-year-old. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. horda. Yeah, yeah. horda. Yeah. The attack pizza. You couldn't get you know could get away with that now, right, Corda? You know the story is so interesting that um, Janos uh, Prohaska, Janos right? Prohaska, who invented the the horda and came into the studio to show it, he, and they wrote a story around it. Yeah, Gene Kuhn saw it and said, "I can do something with that." All he did was see the creature, and he wrote a whole episode. Well, a weekend. He, he did a bump that. first, and then he wrote the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was it's pretty pretty remarkable. Alice Krieger yeah, in First Contact. Great, great example of, uh, yep. she's spooky and, in First Contact. Especially when the head comes down and is put on the body. But you know what's especially scary? We have one minute left. What? Yes. You have one minute left. You have one, to say it with like that. One minute, minute left. Like, like Baylock. That's there right. you go. We'll find ah. There are no windows and no doors. When mentioning First Contact, um, you also mentioned how interesting it would have been if they just never gone back to the board. Enterprise kind of did a similar episode with Regeneration, yeah. where they just bring the board back to that one episode, and you understand how scary they are, and the Enterprise crew has no idea. Right. I, I, that's a great example, because I think that's a terrific episode of Enterprise Regeneration. Mike Sussman wrote it. And yeah, and you know, a lot of times Enterprise would try and say, oh, we haven't met these characters yet. How are we going to wedge them in like the Frangi? But the Borg one was really well done. That was a great way to, to have the Borg on the show. And it's a spooky episode, 
Um, it's a really spooky episode when they, they, the cold station in, in the Arctic and they unearth the Borg and then the whole, it's a, that's a really good episode. That's a good one. Um, and unfortunately, we have we to be assimilated to, back into the room. I want to say that if you want to talk more, you can visit the Inglorious Trexperts booth on the floor where we have a bunch of really cool stuff. I want to remind you, check out Electric Now at your favorite app store. You can also watch it on Stir, on Roku, IMDb, um, uh, uh, Distro TV, Sling. Um, I want to especially thank Dean for flying out here just to do the panel. He had a, sca a scary experience on the way here. There was a man on the wing of the plane. And, um, uh, we don't applaud like that. We use the lights. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to say, um, you know, for all you people who are fans of Inglorious Trexperts, keep listening. Check out our other podcasts like the 430 Movie, Best Movies Never Made, and the Leverage a redemption podcast, a very distinctive podcast, and thank you to Ashley as well, and thank you to all of you. We'll thank see you, you so uh, much for being we'll here. We'll see you thank around. You. Well, there you have it. That was uh, the Trexperts Go Vegas, Viva Las Vegas edition. Not as spooky as we were led to believe. I don't know. <laughs> I wet myself just a little bit. Well, that's spooky. It's very spooky and mysterious and ooky. It's altogether kooky or something. Well, with it, well, well, you know, you know what I found spooky. You know, there's not a lot of TV that was really spooky back in the day, but I always found the Night Stalker pretty spooky. Yeah, absolutely, totally. Yeah. Darren McGavin. That was a. That was a. Those movies were terrific. Darren McGavin. Night Stalker. And the the uh, the Night Strangler, you know, the TV show less so, but even that was pretty cool. It dealt with some pretty, yeah. you know, pretty cool horror, uh, uh, you know, ideas. But you um, know what was spooky? Space 1999. Damn right it was. Well, I have to agree. Space 1999 was a spooky show. You know, it really captured the uh, the weirdness and spookiness of, of so there, space. Take that, Star Trek. That's right. Well, what was your spookiest, scariest episode of Space 1999, Darren, since you bring oh it up? Oh, my God. The, uh, the uh, uh, Dragon's Domain. The, Absolutely. The, the car wash monster. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's mm -hmm. horrific. And, but the buildup is even, is very tense. And it, you know, the thing about that show is that we're, uh, we're connected to a main character that we never see again. And uh, who is uh, a little bit odd because he has this incredibly thick Italian accent. Yeah. And it's really discombobulating, especially since it was the first episode. Well, second episode aired. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 really spooky in the music and the uh, the uh, stillness of it and the the strange sound effects and the finally the visualization of the monster itself was completely creepy and horrific. Uh, Ashley, um, uh, Darren and myself are going to talk in Italian now. So <laughs> okay. um, I'll translate it's okay with you. you. I'm just going to talk to you. I love Italian. Face. And, and so, so, do you. so do you. So, uh, Darren, you got this this week, didn't you? Did, what did, is did, that? Wait. What you I took say? mine out of the It's box. an interface. You nice. Did. You took that is. That's awesome. It is a. Uh, Stun gun and comlock. Although I like the stapler, like the red swing lines that they used. 
to like you know his guns. We ordered from 1612. What two years ago, Darren? Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, we've been waiting for this for two years. It finally came. Um, and uh, and of course the uh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm gone. Yeah, I love that's that so thing. cool. I know we waited very patiently for it for two years, <sighs> and it finally arrived. How I'm cool jealous. is that? I got to take I've, mine out I've, of the box. I've wanted these for 45 years. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. jealous. Well, you can buy them at uh, at sixteen twelve. They're sold and, out. Uh, Oh, they, they are. are they? They're going for they're going for four hundred and fifty bucks on eBay. Wow. Well, oh maybe I maybe I won't open the box. Yeah, maybe you should <laughs> never open the box. What's in the, the box? box. Um, it's done better than Bitcoin. They got great stuff at sixteen twelve. I mean, I I got the um, you know, I got my hawk from War Games. Uh, not a man called but Hawk. Hawk I guess. Roger. <laughs> a ship a ship called Hawk. <laughs> and then, and then Eagle Moss, Eagle Moss is going to start doing some cool ships too from Space 1999. So uh, I'm looking forward. Well, you know, to, uh, I'd speak better of Eagle Moss if they would actually send me my stuff. Right, yeah, I know. Uh, we've had Ben on the show. Ben just did an episode yeah. with Ian Spelling to promote his book with Peter and Lisa. Where am I? I, t- I told Peter. I said the first question you need to ask Ben: Where are my ships? Where right. are my ships? Yeah. Well, we get. You can also ask him. Where's Ashley's ship? Where's my ships? And also, <laughs> like, has it occurred? Like, Eagle Moss making eagles sounds pretty great, right? How many times do you have to be on the show before you actually send us our ships? Right. I, I don't, don't want to know the them. answer to that question. Don't trust them. Don't believe them. You, Let you, them I, I, ben, you're not going on the show again until we get our ships, our little ships to break. <laughs> you broke your little ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know, look, I wouldn't care because, like, if San Diego and that stuff was happening, I just buy them. Sure. But you know, it's going to be another year before Comic Con. It'll be a so whole like the ships, year, and I'm not going to order them. I just want my ships. I just want you to send me some ships. Well, be cool. I like ships. anyway. 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 Oh, this is a spooky episode. So, it was spooky. Uh, I'm spooked. So yeah, thanks for yeah. thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, thank you for joining us on another episode of Inglorious Trekspers. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Inglorious Trekspers every Friday. And of course, on Saturday, you can join us for Trexpert's Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast where all we together. do audio commentary all together. Um, and maybe we'll do a spooky episode. Who knows? Um, and maybe we'll do The Adams Family. Or, if you're really lucky, Dragon's Domain. That'd I don't be know. amazing. Yeah, we still got to record our Star Trek three commentary. Yeah. It's coming. I know, I know. So uh, anyway, on behalf of uh, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Doctorman, and myself, Mark Altman, we want to thank Bill Ritter for making it sound so good. Making the trek to Vegas, he was there live and in person. And if you didn't get his autograph, you missed out. And then, of course, uh, want to thank Peter Holmstrom, who manned the booth the whole time. Yes, Aaron Ratner. Yes, and uh, we want to thank Zach Ragnarsson and un-manned. Natalie Miscelli. I did, you know, everyone braved the Delta Quadrant coming to Vegas and uh, and really made that a fun trip. And if you if you want to know more and you missed it, you can check out our episode, whatever it was called, about Vegas uh, from a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember. I don't remember what it was called, but it was a good episode. It was good. Yeah. It has Vegas in the title. I'm sure it does. I, oh, Sin City Trek. That was the episode. Right. So check that one out. So uh, until next week. Uh, I was going to say the balcony is closed. I don't know where that came from. Uh, <laughs> so until I, I'm losing it because I was listening to that wonderful podcast, uh, Gene and Roger. 
that uh, the Ringer Network's doing about Siskel and Ebert. And it was very, uh, really uh, a beautiful podcast. I really enjoyed it. So anyway, until next week, keep on trekking. And gloriously, of course. This is the Inglorious Trexperts podcast, a live recording from the Rio in Vegas at the 55-year mission convention. Check it out. experts i'm talking to some amazing cosplayers because i gotta know how long it takes them to make their costumes and what inspires them so check it out first and foremost tell me who you are ambassadors of all trying to go ahead and keep the peace the humans don't go ahead and mess up again with the aliens I am Zeph from Cochrane, the inventor of Warp Drive. Let's talk about Star Trek for a second. We are at 55-year mission. Why do you think Star Trek has had such longevity? Probably because it's been off for so many years, and people love it. But of all the science fiction that's out there, uh, Star Trek is probably the only one that gives hope uh, that after, you know, that humanity made it to that point to go to the stars. Everything else out there, you know, we're... You're living in a dystopia future. Star Trek's the only one that we did it. I'm Tom Ford from San Diego. And I'm Sheila Kerr from San Diego as well. It was different. Um, it helped you escape from the world we were in and you could go somewhere in a fantasy world. I think it because the, of the principles involved, that the human principles that are timeless. And um, how being kind and, and helping each other, doing the right thing, uh, no matter what you look like, where you're from, um, those themes are, are forever. They, they hold up forever. Yeah. And, and everybody loves that. Absolutely. Uh, tell me about your costumes. How long did it take you to make this? Oh, uh, probably a week and a half of sewing and fixing and <laughs> creating. My costume was nothing compared to his. It was pretty simple and, you know, just... But the earpiece was a little tricky getting that right, but nothing compared to the level of detail. This is, is entirely handmade. So, um, you know, it's, but it's fun. It's like being somebody else for a day. Yeah. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I love this franchise. I love this show. It is my favorite franchise, so even when I'm wearing my Hawkman, I'm yeah. wearing my red pants because Hawkman gets killed a lot. And he re reincarnates. It's a fun thing. Everybody here, they're friendly. They, we just get along, and we all we can all tell the same stupid jokes and, and get them. There are four lights. <laughs> <laughs> this set, which is set number six, is about the same size as most of my other sets, but it's extremely lightweight. Actually, breaks down and fits into a suitcase. And um, uh, I, it's only I think it's less than 20 pounds. So. Wow. I'm gonna wear it, wear it all day long. Not a big deal. So, what are your names? Serana. Amanda. Um, I like Star Trek Discovery. Okay. But why do you like it? Hmm. What's your favorite thing about it? 
Um, I don't really know. I just like it. <laughs> and why do you like Star Trek? Uh, I guess I just grew up with it. My parents chose me when I was a kid, and we always watched it together. And it's always been a really great bonding stuff to do as a group and as family. I love that. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about uh, today's look? How long did it take you to become this green? <laughs> yes, uh, I am an Orion slave girl today. It actually did not take as long as you would think because all I had to do was the face and the arms. The legs are just tights, so wow. it's, it was not as bad as it looked. <laughs> I'm with Anne-Marie Siegel, the uh, super fan of Inglorious Trexperts. Tell me, um, what is it about Star Trek that you love so much? Um, so I think what really like spoke to me when I was little is I love science a lot. Like I'm a doctor now, and you just don't see that on shows that often. I've been watching since I was three, like every day with my dad, so it was really bonding. And you know, it just is so inclusive, and I'm also like half Jewish. And I feel like only Star Trek ever talks about kids who sort of have like two different cultures and struggling to fit in with one of them. And it just really, really speaks to me on every level. The women in it are fantastic. The men in it are fantastic and very attractive, like William Shatner. And I just, and like, I discovered podcasts a few years ago and I just can't get enough. You're listening to the Electric Surge Network.